Stay tuned. East Side Radio, 89.7 FM. You're listening to Breaking Waves. I'm Riley. And I'm John. And welcome back to another episode in 2022, continuing on with the theory of dreams. We've actually got a clip from SpongeBob in which SpongeBob travels inside the dream of his pet snail. John, have you ever been in a dream that wasn't your own? No, never. (laughs) I've had a lot of weird dreams, but I don't think I've ever been in someone else's dream, like in being John Malkovich kind of thing. Yeah, being John Malkovich, of course, the cult classic uh, from 1999, uh, directed by Spike Jones, and it's um, one of the really great explorations of that idea of um, stepping inside someone else's reality, right, John? Yep. Um, so here is SpongeBob. This must be Gary's dream. I'm going to get a closer look. Look at all these books. I wonder where Gary is. Gary! Huh? Excuse me, sir. Have you seen... <gasps> SpongeBob? Gary? How dare you invade the sanctity of my dreams? Gary, you can talk! <sighs> In dreams, one is not tethered by earthly limitations. What does that mean? Come. For ages, dreams have been thought of as windows to another realm. Let me not mar that perfect dream by an oral stain, but so adjust my daily night that it may come again. Emily Dickinson wrote that. Who? Here's one you might know. There once was a man from Peru who dreamed he was eating his shoe. He awoke with a fright in the middle of the night to find that his dream had come true. Ah, gee, Gary, you sure are smart. Did you think my shell was full of hot air? Well, thanks for the info, Gary. I'm going back to my own dream now. Beware of your wandering eye, you little peripheral. The weird world of dreams. Now, I went to a website this week uh, called uh, thesleepfoundation.org and it has a page there with a whole lot of information about uh, dreams and why we have them or some of the ideas, uh, some of the theories about what they're all about and what they potentially might be telling us. So what did you find? Well, the first thing I found out is there's two major schools of thinking that is, uh, or science that are very interested in studying people's sleep and people's dreams being part of the sleeping experience that just about all people do. Um, it says there that everybody dreams when they're asleep, but we usually only remember about 5% of our dreams. And there's a list of uh, things that might be happening while we're asleep, and they include um, memory uh, building, or in some way that our our mind is processing um, things that have happened to us in the past. And apparently most of our dreams, the content is usually not short-term memory. It's usually things that have moved into long-term memory that um, is included in our dreams. So according to this site, it's not that common for people to have experiences and then dream about them straight away. It usually takes a period of time. That's interesting. 
I'm trying to think whether that's consistent with my own experience, but yeah, me too. Mine yeah. are so abstract. <laughs> mm. I never know where I am or who I'm talking to a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure uh, about that one. Uh, processing emotions. Well, that's definitely something that happens to me. I have a lot of um, emotional states while I'm dreaming. I think um, I well, I definitely do as well. And you know, like we said last week, those emotional states are as if you examine your dream like it's a story, they don't necessarily correspond in like an obvious way but there's definitely an array of different emotions that can come up in a dream and be very strongly felt indeed sometimes i have very weird things happen um and i wake up and i'm not really that disturbed at all i just go wow that was weird and um other times i actually have to go and you know have a glass of water and (laughs) read a book or something or watch television for a while before i can even think about going back Mm. to sleep Now, there are two different uh, schools of scientific inquiry that are very interested in the slipping process and the dreaming process. And they are the neuroscientific and the psychoanalytic fields. Um, Now, in the neuroscientific fields, they like to look at brainwaves and your nervous system and the rest of your metabolism and biology at different times. And in regards to sleep, they monitor your blood pressure and uh, they could also monitor your brainwave activity. I've in fact had those kinds of um, uh, neurological tests with my vision where they map my visual fields by putting a weird shower cap with electrodes on it on my head and got me to stare at a screen and they mapped out uh, my visual fields and apparently what we see is recreated in the back of our brain in our occipital lobes and so I would imagine uh, the things that we see in our dreaming process are likewise uh, firing away in the back of our head. Um, so the neuroscientists are very interested in, in those aspects of the dreaming process. They do not have much to say about uh, the content of dreams though and that really is the field of psychoanalysis mm. which is a much older uh, field of inquiry um, yes and started way back in the well it's probably been going on for as long as we've been around and thinking about reality but certainly in a modern scientific uh, terms it, it started with um, Sigmund Freud back in the late 1800s he was very interested in dreams and dream interpretation um, and he had all kinds of theories about the motivation behind a lot of the images in dreams. And later on, Carl Jung came along and expanded on Freud's... Uh, he was a student of or a colleague of Freud's, and he developed his own uh, theories of archetypes um, and went on to uh, develop those ideas in, a, in our conscious world as well, um, cultural archetypes and and the collective unconscious.
That was P.P. Arnold with Dreamin' from 1968. And, you know, I apologize if anyone was put out by that song because the last couple of times I played it, it's inspired varying degrees of displeasure in people. But um, so... But I think it did. And John, um, just then, right, John? It was wonderful, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that I like about that song, or that appealed to me when I heard it, because yeah, I was looking for songs on Dreams, w- with Dream in the title, and um, I liked that she sounded very like childish, in a way, and that singing, it, it charmed me because of how strange it was. <laughs> and so Yes, it had a dreamy quality yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. So something else that was mentioned on this uh, website, mm. uh, the sleepfoundation.org, was that um, when we're in REM sleep and we're dreaming, the kinds of dreams we have are usually quite vivid and fantastic or bizarre. And that, that tends to be the kind of dreams we have when we're in that rapid eye movement uh, dreaming state. Um, we can dream in the other stages of sleep. In fact, I do a lot of dreaming myself in the daytime, as I've mentioned before, when we were talking to Cav. And uh, my dreams, um, I think most of the time they're not that bizarre when, I, when I'm dreaming. In that they're like a little story. So I'd uh, concur with that observation about you, Riley. Is there much of a difference I guess we in REM sleep, you don't really wake up most of the time, so you're not really aware of the kinds of dreams you're having. Yeah, I think, um, and it speaks to something that you said um, off air while we were preparing to these shows, is that um, dreams are more distinctive when, they can be more distinctive when you're having a lot of um, stress or kind of disturbance or irregularity or something going on, and that can be something that drives home uh, an intensity of a dream. Um, and when things are more uh, normal, shall we say, um, unless you're keeping a dream journal or something like that, you're not as likely to have these really vivid experiences. Well, it's certainly uh, the experience I have of, of replaying uh, traumatic events um, or traumatic situations uh, quite often, even though they're presented differently in the dream. I can usually link it to stuff that's happened to me that's been um, uh, traumatic in some way or difficult or scary or, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and I I would say the same thing. Sometimes it will be something that's pretty abstract, but most of the time there'll be like a clear um, psychological... Yeah, unfortunately, that's the kind of thing I tend to replay. (laughs) What, abstract? Car accidents, bad things, (laughs) rather than... I don't seem to replay, you know, really great experiences. Uh, Do you dream about great things that have happened to you? Well, my dreams are... um tend to be pretty removed from anything that's actually happened to me like they tend to be quite outlandish you know last night i was dreaming about um driving a ferrari off a cliff and flying through the air and (laughs) um so uh but there's certainly i'll have dreams that are reminiscent of um very pleasant experiences and likewise the the counterpart to that so i get a i get a bit of both but um i think uh I've been lucky in the sense that I haven't been plagued by reoccurring uh, unpleasant dreams all that much in my life, so at least not that I can recall. Um, yeah, the interpretation of dreams is um, an interesting subject, and it's something we talked a little bit 
as well to Cavalier about last week. I've never been to a uh, dream therapist or anybody who, um, or um, an analyst, um, but it's certainly something that's done in psychology. And I think there are different schools in psychology that put different emphasis on the importance of of dreams. But I think certainly um, if you're having nightmares or you're having traumatic dreams, uh, particularly if they're replaying things that have happened to you or situations in the past, um, your psyche or your mind's definitely trying to get in touch with you and um, try to deal with this trauma in some way. And it's, um, I think it could be really helpful to talk to, uh, get some therapy or talk to somebody who can better help you understand this kind of stuff. Mm, mm. One of the reoccurring dreams that I have that stresses me out is uh, dreams about being in social situations in which I face the uh, ostracization or at the very least the displeasure of other people through my affiliations with someone else. And this is something that's happened to me all my life because I um, make friends with people very easily and I have had a lot of friends um, for most of my life and I've uh, and I want everyone to get along, you know, but a lot of the times... You know, there'll be people that I'm mutually friends with. They might have a falling out and then one of them will expect me to, you know, disown that person that they're fighting with and, you know, be loyal to them or whatever. And this is something that's kind of come up again and again in my life is uh, sort of social friction because of um, having friends and having so many friends and uh, people not getting along. So I have a lot of uh, dreams about that those kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. Now, there, uh, there is a hypothesis called the continuity hypothesis. And this hypothesis says that our uh, dreaming world and our awake world are integrally connected together. And then there's another hypothesis called the discontinuity hypothesis that says there's no connection between your dreaming world and your waking world. And I guess the um, psychoanalysts would be on the side of the continuity hypothesis. Mm. And perhaps some of the uh, materialists um, who perhaps might be uh, interested in purely in the neuroscience and the biological aspect of life would be in the other camp. I think it's time for another musical interlude. And this song is... One of my favorites, it's called Dreamer by Dennis Wilson. Oh, 
Healthy sleep includes dreams, and bad dreams can affect REM sleep and cause broken broken sleep, insomnia, and fragmented uh, sleep, which aren't don't sound like good things. Riley, have you ever had any problems sleeping? Oh, definitely. <laughs> it was a chronic issue for me when I was younger. I took melatonin to try and adjust that. And so I would take that every night to try and melatonin is something you make, you know, naturally in your body. But I took this to try and get my sleeping pattern on track and I did find it to be helpful. Yeah, it's not really a a sleeping pill as such. It's my understanding is that your body produces melatonin and it uh, produces it when your skin uh, is exposed to sunlight and it resets your body clock. So I think one of the problems can happen if, is if people sleep in very dark rooms, they're not getting um, perhaps uh, the melatonin production that uh, helps them get healthy sleep. How did you find melatonin? Was it helpful? I think it was helpful. Um, one of the things that I would do is I would try to have not a lot of overstimulation, so not looking at screens and not having like bright lights uh, in the time after I'd taken it. And I think um, that did help. Like, if I was to just be doing things or watching TV or something, it would sort of make its effects um, more or less redundant. Right. That's sort of uh, like sleep hygiene. Um, your environment's um, a very important aspect of your ability to have uh, good sleep. Mm. Um, not only a dark place if you want to be asleep and a light place if you want to wake up, but um, apparently smells um, can affect your... Uh, so, you, you know, have a nice smelling place and a comfortable bed and um, a quiet place. Uh, I think a lot of people go, do you ever go to bed with the telly on? Always. Not the telly, but uh, podcasts and yeah, I always school. have something playing, yeah. <laughs> but see, I grew up with... Um, falling asleep to the radio that's just like something that I've been conditioned into from a very young age so it's kind of I I don't always do it but I do it the majority of the time I'll have some kind of audio playing right I've had um quite a bit of problems with um insomnia and broken sleep due to um, some physical problems I'd had over the last couple of years. And um, I found those things quite important, actually. I've moved my bed next to the window mm. so that um, I can try and get that melatonin activation happening. Mm. And I have uh, bought a comfortable bed <laughs> to sleep in. And I make my room smell nice and I don't have any uh, computers or television or even any uh, music in my room. And I actually have a little routine I go through. Before I go to sleep, I try and wind down and try and get some exercise in the day as well. Because when you're not feeling well and you're lying around all day not doing anything, that can actually make it difficult to go to sleep at night. But there's some other things that we do, aren't there, that <laughs> affect our uh, not only our wake time but our sleep time. I think there's a lot of uh, things like caffeine, uh, alcohol and other prescription drugs that we're taking as a society that might be um as well as workload <laughs> i think that's a big one there are a lot mm. of uh, working parents um, yeah and stress and and who yeah, have the, kids mm. and um just have so many commitments there they get sleep deprived yeah <laughs> so 
And one of the things that happens with alcohol is that I find that um, I'll if I have an excessive amount to drink, I'll kind of I'll fall asleep, kind of like pass out like a dead weight for about three or four hours, and then I wake up again, and I'm really awake, and I have there's a dry throat and I feel really gross and I have to go and get a drink of water and then I can't fall asleep again for ages. So it's like a very just insubstantial amount of sleep that I end up getting when I'm, when I'm drunk. Um, Yeah. I've got to say drinking alcohol is something that's become uh, less fun for me the older I've got. Uh, I don't don't really remember it affecting me except making me drunk when I was younger. But these days uh, I find it really affects my sleep. If, if I, um, have more than a couple of drinks, I actually wake up really early and can't get back to sleep. And mm, besides yeah. the other um, hangover-related kind of feelings you have with the high blood pressure and the, the fizzy head and all of that kind of stuff. Have you heard of the idea that um, different kinds of foods will induce certain kinds of dreams? No, but I like the idea. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of theories of that, like um, spicy foods. People say or they'll get like a certain kind of dream. And one of the things that I've heard, and I've actually experienced this myself, is that having an excessive amount of cheese does correlate with erotic dreams. It has for me, and I've heard that theory online. But there's another aspect of sleep hygiene related to uh, eating before bed, right, John? Not supposed to be a good thing to do. You're supposed to give about three hours uh, between eating and bedtime. I think that's like that with swimming too, isn't it? Swimming, it's like... Uh, don't swim on a full stomach and don't sleep on a full stomach. Yeah. It's the wisdom of the day from John and Riley. <laughs> um, and we're hoping that you guys can have sweet dreams, nightmare-free dreams, dreams that are not influenced by a malevolent spicy cheese tonight. Yes, we do. And uh, we look forward to being back with you next week. Next week, we're going to um, talk... More on this uh, topic. But, We're going um, to be talking about daydreams. That's right. It's a flip side. It's and the, that's a great topic. I can hardly wait for that one. Yes. Easier than this one. <laughs> Sayonara, folks. Bye. You're listening to People Powered Radio, proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The Community Broadcasting Foundation resources community-owned and operated media stations just like this one that connect people and tell vital local stories so that we all enjoy a more vibrant, inclusive Australian culture and healthy democracy. Find out more about our work at cbf.com.au.